Hello and welcome. Hello to and welcome. Hello and welcome. Hi. To the How you doing? To the Scott. To the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music, and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. A little bit. I mean, we go. It's got nothing to do with music at all. Yes, you I know. know. It's, it's yep. so far yep. out. It's yep. completely pointless. Yeah. I don't even know why you have an introduction to this thing. Yeah. I mean, there's really no. Yeah, 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 yeah. My name is Scott Cowie. My name is not Scott Cowie. That's Nora Germain, and she's not drunk. She's just mental. Um. And anyway, this is a talk music podcast, and enough. You know what it is. It's available on iTunes. It's available on SoundCloud. It's available on Stitcher Radio. Google it. It's everywhere. That's all you need to know. Uh, my name is Scott Cowie. Once again, scottcowie.com. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell the in-laws, tell the outlaws, mm-hmm. tell the ex-girlfriend that you don't speak to anymore, tell the ex-wife that took all your money, and uh, yeah, Gosh. keep listening, and bada bing bada boom, we're going to get right down to it. Here we go! Guest this week on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, and hopefully not for the last time, it's a movie director. You're supposed to react positively. I love movies you do love movies when's the last time you went to see a good movie Um, huh the last time i went to see a good movie was um well i tell you what i did yes this is not going to the cinema but i downloaded a movie it's a cinema a movie theater Yes, it wasn't a movie theatre. I downloaded it on my laptop. Yeah. Oh, cinema. Sorry, there's a little bit of, of communication breakdown there, given that you're from America and I'm from Bonnie, Scotland. That being you're said... From what, Scotland? Bonnie, Scotland. Bonnie? Who's yeah. Bonnie? Bonnie means it's close to your heart. Anyway. Bonnie. Listen to me right now. Bonnie. Listen to me right now. Okay. I downloaded a film called 10 Things I Hate About You. I love that movie. Right. You know what? There's another one that has 10 in it. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That one's really funny too. Right. Do you know that movie? Well, it's interesting that you say that because big shout out to my good friend and our good friend, Gemma Harding. And is a mutual friend of the guest of the, the, the podcast today, okay? Gil Younger is the man, the myth, the legend, the movie director extraordinaire. That is the guest today. And Gemma is a friend of ours, and she introduced me to Gil. Gemma's, is that right? Yes, that is correct. Oh, Gemma. Gemma, we you. love you. We Gemma's, do love her. Dude, she's a lovely person. I think she's the best person ever. Thanks very much. That hurts my feelings, because you've always said that I'm the best person ever. But we'll argue later. Anyway, Gil, uh, we were talking the other day, and he mentioned that he's 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 got a whole host of projects coming up, and of course, he's got a legendary directing career already, Right man that's hugely experienced he's directed the film 10 things i hate about you it's he's on the podcast today and listen his career is not limited to that he's done a whole host of things that he talks about but this is a very interesting interview um selfishly for me because he's the first movie director on the podcast and once again hopefully not the last nora we're going to talk to you in a little bit because you've got some stuff coming up but right here right now we're cutting to the interview with gil boom Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast. And even though it's a Talk Music Podcast, I do say at the top of the show that occasionally we go off topic. And today is one of those days because we welcome on the show our very first movie director. This is very exciting. Over 100 episodes and not one movie director. And that man is, of course, Gil Younger. How are you, sir? I'm good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. And of course, we got chatting a couple of days ago. And, and we realized, obviously, you've got a wealth of experience in the mu- movie industry. 
Um, and for the first time, I watched the very famous film, 10 Things About You. I watched it this morning. Loved it. So we're going to get into that and, and chat about everything that has to do with that film and continue the conversation we had the other day. Now, Gil, uh, first of all, it says online that you studied New York, but that's not actually true, is it? Well, no, I grew up, I grew up on the East Coast, but I, I, uh, for college, I went to the University of Texas in Austin uh, and uh, got a film degree there. But I really, you really learn the craft doing it. I mean, as much as they say in film school, you're going to, oh, you're going to learn so much about how to make movies. You, you basically learn more of the logistics. You, you learn about techniques and things as opposed to actually doing it and learning on the job. That's where, that's where you really get the insight. Did you find it worthwhile getting that degree all the same? Was that just a bit of paper or what, what uh, kind of skill set did you take from, from studying, if any? Well, I think for me, uh, for me, actually, college was a great time to make some really f stupid mistakes and, uh, and, and not be thrown in jail. Well, I actually was thrown in jail a couple of times, but that didn't have anything to do with film school. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, exploring things. Um, I think just knowing my way around the edit bay and doing a lot of editing was really my uh, the one direct link that I took to work with me because my first break, if you will, was, you know, I got hired like so many kids straight out of college and I was an errand boy, you know, delivering packages and hand washing the producer's Porsche. Um, but uh, what happened after about a year of working out there on a TV show, the editor had to leave for a previous commitment. And I begged the producers to give me a chance. And of course, they're looking at this 21-year-old kid with a Jew-fro. And uh, they thought, oh, you're insane. And I, I said to them, I said, look, just give me two days. And if I do a first cut and you like it, then you've solved your problem looking for an editor. And if you don't like it, you lost two days and, and I go back to work. You don't have to pay me anything. I just go back to doing what I do. And, um, and they gave me a chance. It was literally that simple. And uh, luckily for me, I, I did have some experience editing and being a photographer my whole life, I sort of I sort of understood it all and the angles and how they work. And um, so I quickly became an editor, uh, which was uh, a big jump from being an assistant, you know, a uh, production assistant. Um, so anyway, that was probably the, the biggest benefit of college. Um, and also when I did spend four days in jail in a one cell with 14 guys, I thought I grew up a bit that time too. <laughs> I take it now, is this the time nor the place to tell us about how you got in jail? Is that a story for a different time? No, I don't mind. Let's if, I mean, it. if you really want to know. I really want to know. I mean, uh, it, shit. It's, I mean, it's, when, right. when somebody says, yeah, I was in jail, I mean, I want to hear the backstory, of course. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I was riding a friend's motorcycle. I think I was 19 or maybe even 20. And uh, of course, I didn't have a motorcycle license and I had I was carrying his license because back then they didn't have pictures on the license. Um, and a policeman went to pull me over. 
So I did my usual trick, which was I would pull over to the side. The cop would pull over behind me. He'd get out of his cop car. He'd walk up to me and then I'd hit the gas and take off. Right. Of course. You're like, right. Of course. And um, so what ended up happening, excuse me, he called another cop and they kind of, you know, uh, caught me. Let's just put it that way. And I was running from them and uh, they weren't happy because uh, I got basically I got busted for excessive speeding 124 in a 35 and that's miles an hour um and uh and because the license wasn't mine I also got <laughs> I also got charged with um forgery I think was the charge because it wasn't my license I was lying that it was my license uh yeah and they threw me in jail for four days it was pretty scary Texas, Texas was tough. Let's just put it that way. They they did not fuck around. I've never been in jail, um, but I would imagine being in jail in Texas for some reason to be a heck of a lot scarier than jail elsewhere. I've just got that. Yeah, no, no, no. A I've lot tr- of men with no teeth and stuff. Well, uh, there all the men had teeth, um, uh, which hurt a little bit. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but uh yeah it was just pretty intense um luckily for me it was more of like a holding cell situation so there was all these guys um in one cell and my most grotesque memory was um there was one toilet i love that we're talking about my film career and i'm now i'm talking about my jail time oh christ i'll never get hired again um but there was one toilet in the center of the room with no walls around it, just a, in the center of the room, there was a toilet. And I did not poop for the entire time I was there. No way. I think I said a decision. Yeah, I think it was the right decision. So, uh, but anyway, uh, that's my little, my Texas jail story. Right, so we're out of jail, <laughs> we're out of college, and you mentioned earlier, there's nothing better than the practical side of just going out there and doing it. So as far as directing and things of that nature. So did you always want to be a director? Did you want to be, did you just kind of fall into that? At any point, did you want to be an actor? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, When I graduated from college, excuse me, when I graduated from college, um, there were two careers that I had in mind. One, oddly enough, was opening up a high-end stereo store in Houston, Texas, because as a job, when I was in school in Austin, uh, I sold stereo gear just to make the spending money, but I was good at it because I genuinely loved high quality stereo equipment and um, it was easy for me to sell because I believed in the products we were selling and I did really, really well. So what I was considering doing was moving to Houston and opening up my own store. I thought that would be an exciting thing. At the same time, I had been told my whole life how funny I was and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, um, you know, I always, I always felt like an entertainer, but I didn't really want to do the acting. I had this naive idea that I would go out to LA and become a producer and then eventually cast myself. Uh, that was my, you know, my 19 year old, uh, fantasy. Um, 
So when I graduated, I thought, you know what? If I if I do the stereo store, I don't want to be that guy at 35 that looks back and goes, oh, shit. What would have happened if I went out to Hollywood? So I decided to give myself a shot, you know, give myself a couple of years. If I can do something great. If not, that's OK. And um, my original intentions, I, you know, I didn't want to be an actor. Uh, as I just mentioned, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but um, but I immediately fell in love with my two bosses uh, in, in television. <clears throat> Excuse me, very bright guys. And I, to be honest, I just wanted to be like them. And they were TV producers, sitcoms. And uh, so what happened is they, they basically groomed me for the next, gosh, 10, 15 years to learn the business, to learn how to produce TV shows. And I, I was very fortunate that one of them, sort of took me under his wing and said, I want you to shadow me. I'm going to teach you this business. And it was a very, very, very generous offer. And I was a sponge. I listened to everything he said. I listened to every meeting. Um, and, uh, you know, so I had, I had wanted to become a producer, which I did do. <clears throat> and then directing came later. Um, because as I was watching the directors direct these TV shows, I thought, well, I can do that. And I want to do that because I love speaking to actors and trying to help people be funnier, help people find the funny inside them. And I just sort of had a knack for that. Um, so I asked eventually, you know, could I direct an episode? And actually they said no, because I was too valuable as a producer. And then I waited another year. And then I asked again if they would please let me direct one episode. And they said they would. And I was hooked. That was it. I was like, it, it felt like I was attached to a car battery. It was, uh, no, it was just so freaking exciting. Um, now, we don't need to go down this road, but I can honestly say that uh, I think I've done every drug that, um, that people take. And I, have, I never get as high is when I'm actually directing. It's an unbelievable feeling for me. And then I just didn't, never stopped. Um, I immediately said, hey, guys, I, I, this is it. I'm sorry, I have to, you were right. I fell in love with directing and I don't want to produce, I want to direct. And, um, and that was, you know, 25 years ago or something like that. Fascinating. So what kind of skill set does it require to be a good director? I'm assuming you need to be a good people person. You need to treat people different ways because imagine people work differently actors work differently so give me some ideas of the, the type of skill set that you feel is required for, for to make a not just a good director but a great director wow that's a great question um <clears throat> well i was fortunate in that as i said um i was a photographer since i was 13 i just i don't know what it was but a street photographer if you know what that is and um so by the time I hit 21, I mean, I had probably taken and printed 10, 12,000 images. So that was a skill that really helped me to understand lenses and what the different lenses do and how the different lenses feel when you look through it, uh, you know, like a wide angle lens as opposed to a, a telephoto lens. So anyway, lenses made uh, was very helpful for me. Um, I was an editor for seven years. So I edited other directors' TV shows. 
Um, that helped me technically understand the angles with which I need to shoot and the angles that will cut together. So both of those things, one is more visual, one is more technical, those skills helped. Um, but I think the most interesting thing about directing or maybe the most intangible quality is being able to talk to actors in a way that they can understand while at the same time always showing them the respect that they deserve. There are plenty of directors working, especially in television, that they're just kind of traffic cops. They just know how to move the bodies around and how to move cameras, but they don't really spend that much time on what is the intent of this sentence? What is the intent or the emotional intent of the scene? Now, how do you learn that? And when I first had my first chance at becoming a director, I said to my bosses, what do you think I should do to be really good as opposed to just being a working director? was your exact question. And they said, Gil, you know how to edit. You're great with people. People respond to you, luckily. Um, you know funny. You know what's funny and what's not funny. They said, but you need to understand how an actor's mind works. What they suggested was that I took acting classes. So I took that to heart. And to be honest, I ended up taking acting classes for six years. Loved it loved every second of it. And that was really more as a director to understand the process they go through so that I could give them a quote unquote actable note. A lot of directors give notes from a producing standpoint, meaning say the line faster. Or let, let's just use that as an example, say the line faster. That's not an actable note. That doesn't mean anything to an actor. Alternately, I could say to the actor, you have to leave within 35 seconds or you're going to miss the bus. So when you're playing this scene, just know that if you're not out of the house in 35 seconds, you've missed the bus. And that then gives an actor, oh, okay, that gives an actor a behavior, it gives an actor uh, an energy that he wouldn't normally have, and it will have, it'll come from a place of tension as opposed to just talking faster, like the previous note would have been. I've got to ask you, because I'm fascinated by this individual and you've got a chance to work with them and what was essentially, I suppose, his big break, correct me if I'm wrong, the man we're referring to is, is Heath Ledger. Yes. Now, your first response, your first experience with, with individual, uh, talk me through it. When he walks into the room, Oh, in you, casting? Yeah, if you, I mean, to me, if you don't recognize this guy as, a, as an absolute superstar, I suppose you're not paying attention. So mm. talk us through this, this moment. It's interesting. I was, um, <clears throat> we were casting 10 Things I Hate About You, and I was literally three weeks away from shooting, and I did not have my male lead. I had just cast Julia Stiles and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um... I didn't have the male lead. And in walks this guy, kind of long, scraggly hair, Australian. And I just thought, wow, that's a sexy looking guy. I mean, he just was like, um, he just exuded some kind of a sexuality without any effort. 
And it was interesting because so different, he was so different than all the other young actors at that time that were coming in trying to look their sexiest. Heath just came in and looked like he just crawled out of bed. But for, there was just something about him. Uh, and I thought to myself, God, I hope this guy can act. So we read the first of eight pages of dialogue. And after the first page, I stopped him because clearly the guy could act. But I wanted to know how fast his brain was. I wanted to know if he could take direction and just what his comedic skills were. So what I did was I said to him, let's improv. Put down the sides. Let's just, I'm going to make up a story. And and I made up some story about I was his much older brother. And I don't know. I, I don't remember the situation. but And I just wanted to see how quickly his brain fired. And he was phenomenal. It was like, boom, boom, boom. He was right there with me. And then I thanked him. And he said, do you want me to read the rest of the sides? I said, nope, I'm good. And in the room at that time were five casting women and me. So all women and me. And I thanked him. I shook his hand. I stood up. He stood up. He leaves the room. As soon as the door closed, I turned to the women in the room. And I said, ladies, I have never wanted to sleep with a man. <laughs> I said, but if I had to sleep with a man, that would be the man Hire that motherfucker right now. And that's what happened. We hired him right right then. And and literally uh, three weeks later, he was doing his first movie. It was, that was it. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. When I watched that, I mean, he was, how old was he at this point? Uh, I think he was 18. Right. Because when I'm watching him act, it's just layers and layers of psychology. It's just like almost uh, years years ahead of his time. When you jumping back and forth, because well, actually, I, I have to interrupt you because of course, what you just said is exactly what was amazing about him. You just said years ahead of his time. What I got the sense of, especially when we became friends during shooting, you know the expression "he's an old soul." This dude was an old soul. I mean, I liked him so much that when I would go to work every morning, I had a my own driver. And I made sure that the driver picked me up early and then we would drive to pick up Heath just because I wanted to ride with him because he was so cool. And my feeling about him was he, it was like he had already lived an entire life. I mean, even at that time, he was dating someone who was 35. He was dating a woman in her 30s. I mean, he was so mature beyond his years. It was almost bizarre and very modest, very modest, down to earth, Super good guy. And by the way, um, for your four or four million listeners, I don't know what you got. Um, he was not a drug guy at all. Not at all. I mean, because I, I, you know, I talked to him about drugs and stuff because I just genuinely liked him and I wanted to make sure he, he didn't fall into the trap that a lot of young, very talented people do. And yeah, his death was an accident. His death was, was not a drug overdose. It was just... A horrible combination of events, you know, that were brought on by anxiety and the desire to calm that anxiety, unfortunately. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that. I appreciate that. And it's, it's very, very interesting to know. Um, what, if any, if you could pick a favorite scene from that film, what would it be? 
and why? Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, golly. Um, well, two scenes pop into mind. And funny enough, one of them, I don't think most people would even remember. But uh, one scene that I loved making and I thought was so effective was the scene in the football stadium when Heath sang to Julia. Um, the guy had never sung before. Uh, and there I was in the, in the recording studio with him before the, you know, because you, you have to record the song and then play it back while he's acting the scene. And, and he just went into, he just went in the studio with all the confidence of a fucking matador, but he'd never even sung before. And he sang great. So he did that, but there was just so much fun in that scene, yet it was so loving. And one of the things that I loved about working with Heath and Julia was they were so open to trying anything. They were so willing to be great. Um, and Heath, I mean, if you saw that scene, he's so committed in that scene. I mean, he was running around those steps and sliding up and down that pole and you know, doing all kinds of shit, um, just pouring himself into it. As a matter of fact, that pole was never there. I, I put that pole in. Or when, he when, he when he slides down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start, yeah. I thought, how cool would that be? It was very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I put that pole in just for that little bit, which I thought was cool. Um, and the, the funny thing is when he was running around up and down the steps, avoiding the police the, or the guys playing the police, we had a shutdown production for an hour because one of the <laughs> one of the heavier policemen yep. um, thought he was having a heart attack, and it was just he was just winded, like desperately winded, because I don't think he'd been running up and down football stadium steps. So we literally we took it very seriously, of course, and we literally had to shut down for an hour. Uh, but that scene was a joy because it was a joyful scene. You know, it just made you happy. Um, another scene that I really liked, it was a subtle scene, was when Larry Miller, who played the dad of Julia Stiles, um, he gave permission to Julia to go to the college of her choice, knowing full well that she was moving away from home. And it was really hard for him because he had already lost his wife. And I was proud of that scene because um, Larry is pretty much known as a stand-up comic. Yeah. He's not necessarily known as a dramatic actor. So it was really a great feeling for me to be able to help Larry and guide Larry uh, into playing such a grounded, warm, loving uh, parent in that scene. And, and it, that's, you know, it, it, look, I don't mean to take credit for it because if the actor can't deliver, the actor can't deliver. Larry obviously could deliver, but it was an interesting challenge for the two of us to, to have him not rely on funny, but rely on real. And as a director, I was very proud of, of how that scene came out. No, it's very interesting not to take away anything from, from Heath Ledger's, of course, but the female Julia Stiles, she's excellent. And I love the development of both characters throughout. Um, because she's obviously coming out of her shell and going through some difference. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, watching it for the first time this morning. Now, um, 
give us an example, if you can, of some a scene that you've directed or kind of a high-pressured situation on set where perhaps th- something's not going according to plan, but you really had to use your skill set as a director to, to overcome whatever was going on and you got a good result in the end. Is there, is there anything that springs to mind at all? Yes. Um, it was actually with Julia Stiles, funny enough. Um, she was pretty new to the craft. Clearly, extremely gifted, um, but very green, as we would say. Um, And there was a scene where she gets into Sarah Lawrence. She's thrilled. Her dad tells her she's not, he won't let her go. And she has a big argument with him and stands stands up to her dad. Kind of a classic coming of age moment. It was one of the first days, actually, of shooting, I think, if not the first day. And Julia was doing well, but I just didn't get the rage. I just didn't get that teenage, you know, I have fucking had enough. You're not going to control me forever feeling. And we rehearsed it. We rehearsed it. We shot a couple takes. I just wasn't getting what I knew that she had inside her. So I shut I shut the set down for a little bit. I told the crew to take a break. And so everyone left, except Julia and I. And what I did was, I said, I want to do an exercise. She said, okay. I said, I want you and I to read this scene, but I want to scream every line. She said, okay. So she says the first few lines and they're like, blah, 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 I said, no, that's not screaming. She said, well, I mean, you really want me to scream, scream? I go, mm, yeah, I want you to scream, scream. So she reads it him again. La, 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 la. That's not screaming. I want you to fucking scream each line of dialogue. So it took about four or five times And I got her to the point where she was literally screaming like a horror movie every sentence in the scene. Now, of course, that's not what I wanted in the end product, but I wanted her to help herself unlock that rage inside of her. So when she finally um, did that scene where she just screamed every line, I said, okay. Let's get the crew back and let's shoot this scene. And she said, you don't want me to scream it like that, do you? I said, no. I said, but I want you to just do the scene, knowing that you can scream like that when you're upset. And we do the scene, and I am telling you, the soft moments and the joyful moments were exactly what, and when she stood up to her dad, there was an anger and a strength in her that was phenomenal. I mean, I think literally I had tears in my eyes. Because it was such a big difference. It was like, oh my God, she just unlocked such a special part of her. Um, that was that. That's one. That, that was a, an example. And interestingly, t- um, not only was I amazingly proud of Julia, she was kind enough, and she sent me a thank you note. She sent me a thank you note um, for helping. She said, "I did not know that I could fly like that." I still have it. Yeah, it's cool. So. 
very, very interesting. But how did you, was that just instinct on your part? Had you seen something like that before from a previous director that was mentoring you? Or does that, was that just off the top of your head? That was off the top of my head. Yeah, I didn't, um, it just seemed to make sense to me. I don't know why, but that, that's actually one of the cool things about my job. You know, I've been doing this now. Uh, I've been in the business, uh, Jesus, 40 years, which is terrifying because I'm only 37. Uh, well, I don't know why you're laughing. Uh, put your pants back on. That's weird. Okay, fine. Um, but it was literally a couple months ago. I was driving to work. And uh, I looked over to the passenger seat. And I smiled. I smiled because there was nothing in that seat. And I thought to myself, how cool is it that I get to go to work and I don't have to bring any tools. I don't have to bring a hammer. I don't have to bring a saw. I don't have to bring a microscope. I don't have to wear a suit. I don't have to bring tools. All the tools that I have are inside my own head. It's just called creativity, um, which is both a blessing and a curse. But it's one of the things I feel so grateful for um, that I have fallen into a career that I get to rely on my own instincts. It's cool to have that. Now, uh, for growing up as insecure as I did, it took me quite a while to trust those instincts, to be honest. Um, but once I kind of grew into myself, it's like, uh, it's great. You know, I've got my little, like doctors have their medical bag. I, I got my little bag inside my head, which is kind of cool. Uh, a couple more questions and I'm gonna let you get away. Now, I remember of this. This this, this uh, might seem unrelated, unrelated, but we'll go full circle in a second. I remember a, a few years ago, a friend of mine who's a magician. I met him at a a, a magician called Darren Brown, who's quite a famous um, magician and hypnotist in the UK. I met him after one of his concerts or shows, and I was amazed by the show. I thought it was incredible. I don't know anything about magic, so I just thought it was I was mesmerised by it. I met him afterwards. I said, what do you think? And he said, it was all right, but this could have been better, that could have been better, this could have been better, that could have been better. A month later, I met the same guy after a, a Muse concert, you know, the band Muse. Of course, I'm a musician, he's a non-musician, and it was the exact opposite after the show. I'm going, oh, this could have been better, that could have been better. And he was saying, oh, it was amazing. He played the guitar, he did this, he did that. So sometimes I'm burdened as a musician going to watch music shows when you're watching films, when I'm watching films, I, I like this, I like that. Are you ever burdened by that camera angle could have been better, this lighting could have been better? Do you watch films from that perspective? And uh, ever, I suppose, essentially, are you ever burdened by being a director at all? It's a good question. Um, the answer is no. You know, when I, I go to a movie, just like most people do, to escape, and I usually go, I don't go to the big blockbusters. I'm not a fan of, you know, car chases and explosions and CGI work, uh, although it's obviously, you know, uh, uh, you know, they're incredibly done, but it's just not what I what attracts me. I, I'm more I enjoy character driven movies, whether it be a comedy or, or a drama. Um, I usually my reactions in movies are never, oh, he should have done this. She should have done that. It's actually more of appreciation for what the director did do. 
um, because I do understand what it takes to capture a moment. I do understand what it takes to shoot a shot that's a complex shot that has a tremendous amount of energy in it. Um, you know, those take long time to plan and the editing. I do appreciate editing because I was an editor. Um, I have no problem walking out of movies. I hate to say that, but there are plenty of movies. I probably said 20% of the movies I go to, I just walk out of. Just because if it's a comedy and it's just not funny or it's just trying too hard or the director was just, it seems to me to be very inexperienced and I didn't feel anything emotionally, I'll leave. Because I don't want to, why sit in the room for two hours? You know, the Raisinets are already gone. So I might as well just leave, snort some cocaine. Just kidding. Um, but no, I'm not troubled by movies, but I certainly leave thinking, wow, I don't have half the talent that guy has. I mean, if I see like a Ridley Scott movie, pff, forget it. It's a, it's a whole different league. I mean, I, I mean, I do think I have some talent, but the great, great, great directors, that's a whole different world. There, there's a level of genius there that, um, uh, and I'm not saying this out of a sadness. I'm just saying it's a level of genius that I just won't touch. You know, I do what I do well, romantic comedy type stuff. But, you know, you look at a, um, uh, well, there's plenty of directors that are just mind-bogglingly talented. And uh, like Danny Boyle, forget it. Steven Soderbergh, amazing. Scorsese at his best, ridiculous. Um, and it just gives me, you know, it, they, those films excite me because the reality is if and when all the elements line up properly, you can touch brilliance. I mean, I do think there are moments in 10 things where I just caught magic. It, everything worked at the same time. The casting worked, the writing worked, the photography worked, the intention worked, the, the emotion worked, and the tone of the country at the time the movie came out was in line with the voices of those teenagers that I was directing. And that's why I think the movie was such a big hit. And while it still plays so well, because, or at least people have been telling me, um, because it was honest. You know, I, it wasn't a condescending look at how an adult thinks teenagers behave. I didn't want to make a film about teenagers. I wanted to make a film about human beings and human relationships, and those humans just happen to be teenagers. It's a different way of looking at it from the start. You know, anyway, uh, this has been a treat. Uh, put your shirt on. And well, why? Why? Why are you flexing? I don't know why you would do something like that. Don't give me the fucking fakes. I'm Scottish. I'm Scottish. I'm special. That's bullshit. <laughs> Thank you so much. I was actually going to say, um, if you, I don't know if you can talk about this or not. Uh, any projects that you're working on at the moment that you can tell us about or do do we keep streaming that i'm not too sure how it works um or maybe i don't know uh, can you can you answer that at all yeah happy to um i am very pleased and whoops and excited uh i wrote a film 
I, I have two young boys, 11 and 14, and I wrote a film three years ago for them that I wanted to take. I, I wrote a film that I, that I wanted to shoot and take my kids to in a perfect world. And I'm thrilled that um, I've been able to sell that film. It's called Dog's Best Friend. Um, and we should actually start shooting that film in September. And a third of it's going to be shot in China. And two thirds of it are going to be shot in Georgia in the United States. Um, so that's my certainly my next project, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, uh, and then um, I wrote a film called One for You, Two for Me, uh, which is about a, a Latin woman who uh, infuses herself and, and hides as a nanny uh, working for very wealthy people. And the reality is she's a thief. She works for extremely wealthy people, cases the join and, and robs them. Uh, and what ends up happening at the end is she ends up falling in love with one of these families and changes her ways. That's exciting. And then I wrote a third film, uh, which is about uh, a, um, a doctor who has perfected cloning humans in addition with it, uh, cloning cellular memory. Um, so that's more of a, uh, a political thriller. Um, which is the first for me to, to write something like that. Um, so there you go. Yeah. But dog's best friend, the family film is, is, is first up and, uh, super excited about it. It's going to be a fun, sweet, funny film. Very, very interesting indeed. And of course we chatted the other day and, um, the film sounds great and, um, wish you all the best with that and no doubt when just before it hits the cinema or whatever the terminology is well let's get you back on this we'll promote it further uh for the for the part two of course if if of course you've got time by then because no doubt you'll be in the middle of the hurricane of promoting the thing gil absolute pleasure the very first movie director what a treat it's been fascinating stuff and this is one of part two i'll hold you to that okay cool <laughs> i'm with you thanks man a fantastic interview there a fantastic oh! Gil, thank you very much. Wonderful. Gil. Informative. Yep, 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 yep. Gil. I'm sorry. Thank you once no, again. No, it was really nice. And a big thank you to Gemma Harding. Nora Germain is back with me on the Talk Music Podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, keep checking out scottcowie.com. Keep checking out noragermain.com. Because when we were in Los Angeles, California, we're, 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 here, we're actually right here right now, but by the time you listen to this, be, I'm talking in past tense because I'll be back in... You'll be in the future and we're in the past. This is very... But this as is, it passes, it's all now. Right now we're in the past as we record this. That's right. It's in the past. But because we're also I'm, in the future. Because I'm going to be in the UK, but I, I can reach out. High five me right now. See, I can touch you right now, but I won't be able to... to, to this is weird. It's um, fucking weird. It's always weird. It's so I got, it just got really weird. It was going so smooth and I was sounding really professional. And you just had to bring it down to your own horrible, dirty level. Jesus. Sorry, I get really personal. I'd like you to know that we're doing this in my house, yes, okay? That. Anyway, Gil, thank you for being on the podcast. And anyway, the point I was getting to, yeah. that I've lost my train of thought and now it's back with me. Um, keep checking out scottcowie.com and noragermain.com because we filmed a video podcast vodcast thing 
where I interviewed Nora and we spoke about Johann Sebastian Bach. We did. Johann Sebastian Bach. Johann Sebastian Bach. Okay? okay. Um, and Nora demonstrates some of his music. It's fascinating. It's on YouTube, but it's on scottcowie.com and you'll put it on your website, won't you? Okay, Nora's not that proud of it, but I'm really proud of it, okay? Nora just doesn't want to be associated with it, but I think it's great, so you can check it out at scottkibby.com. Uh, okay, so thanks very much for listening to this interview. Big thanks to Gil. Big thanks to Gemma Harding for for introducing and, and making this thing happen. Gemma made this thing happen. Gemma makes things happen. She's really great. Right? I love her. Yes. So keep checking out the podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud. Big thanks to Big Ron. Say thanks to Ron. Ron North! Because he produces all this motherfucking shit. Mr. Okay? North, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Nor- uh, Rora, thanks. Everybody, thanks. Thanks to you for listening. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell the in-laws. That's right. Tell the outlaws. That's right. And we will see you guys when? Next week. Bye.